Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Before we dive into this week's episode, I did want to say we do have some audio uh, issues with Taylor during this episode. There is just a little bit of background noise. She's traveling for a conference. We wanted to have her on the show. Uh, so we hope that you bear with some of the audio issues we do have. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And let's dive right in. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Honest Retail. Um, it is just the original crew this week. No guest, um, but we are here for episode 14 and super excited. Uh, lots of um, great topics to kind of cover. We've got the full gamut coming up today. Uh, so excited to dive into these topics. Uh, Taylor and CJ, how are you both doing this week? Doing well. Greetings from Vegas, everyone. Yeah, let's let's talk about that, uh, Taylor. What's going on in Vegas? Like, you know, did you did you win any money last night? Like, let me live vicariously through you. I know that is your thing. However, it is not mine. I am from Atlantic City, and I would, unfortunately or fortunately, you choose. I was told at a young age that the reason that casinos exist are not because I win money. So I have not participated in gambling, nor will I, uh, nor have I when I'm ever home in New Jersey in Atlantic City. Um, but yeah, no, I'm here for a bar and restaurant expo. Uh, it's a few days. It kicks off today. A lot of people in the trade community are here. So um, doing one more panel this month um, with actually some of CJ's uh, portfolio investments for Goat Rodeo. So um, Source Craft Cocktail and Speakeasy Co. And we're talking about e-commerce. And yeah. yeah I, think, um, I think Matt Newberg is maybe on one of those panels from Hungary as well. And um, that that yeah. kind of spikes my memory, um, Cameron. We should probably try and get him on the on, on the podcast because he's kind of that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. In um, in you know, in the kind of burgeoning scene of of last mile that we we end up talking about a lot here. But so Taylor, if I'm understanding you correctly, maybe you don't gamble on sports. But if I were to send you my parlay picks, you'd put them in for me. Can you first just explain what a parlay pick is? <laughs> yeah, and uh, then... <laughs> parlay pick is a really novel way to lose money. So instead of like in, instead of just like betting on a single basketball game, it takes a level of arrogance that you are so correct about basketball that you're willing to tie together multiple outcomes. And if any of those outcomes don't go the way you want, you lose the entire bet. So it's it's really just a more efficient way for <laughs> to lose money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you Venmo me your money, for sure, I'm more than happy to do that. That actually sounds actually sounds pretty thrilling. Yeah. Uh, I've never betted anyone else's money. It is it is <laughs> it is March Madness, so that's a good picture. <laughs> I yeah, think so a parlay, you are me. actually explaining what venture capital is. So, <laughs> so, so there's a, a correlation here between your professional life and the, and the personal one as well. Uh, I mean, the, the, the bar and restaurant uh, expo is definitely not playing around. I feel like Vegas is probably a good spot um, for that one. Any brands kind of pop up, um, Taylor, that you want to report on? I mean, I'll, I'll pretty much see their, everything today. So I think next week I'll have some brands. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure yet. One of the things I did see, I went to a dinner last night um, with a few people in, in BC and uh, 
they focus more on like the tech e-commerce portion within within the hospitality sector in particular. And they were talking about um, pretty cool. And I want to know if there's like a brand associated that they either invested in or they were talking about. But virtually once you pass security, uh, there are now apps available for people to just order food, drinks, and have it delivered to your gate. Um, I may be behind here, but I didn't realize that was a thing. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to kind of learning a little bit more about all that type of like, you know, operator restaurant focused technology and how it's being implemented in things like, you know, day-to-day, -day, right? Application, like when I'm at an airport, I had no idea that was even something that was in development or on the market. So I'll have a few brands and a few pieces of technology probably report next week. Is that, uh, are, are you talking about Brian Schatzen, Schatzenberg or Schatzi? Is that, is that what you're talking about, Taylor? Yeah, yeah. So I um, I work, I, I, I serve as advisor for uh, Branded at this point. So they focus, yeah, primarily on, you know, investments within the hospitality technology, kind of that intersection. Um, but I've started to make a few more investments in beverage. So yeah, tell them I said, what's up? We're, we're on a couple cap tables together. Oh, wonderful. We'll do. Yeah, we were at dinner with them. I was at dinner. I'm, we is no one. I'm by myself. I don't even know why I just did that. <laughs> it's the royal. Yeah, the royal. It's the royal. It's the royal. It's me and my alter ego. I have, I have learned, I did, I did know a little bit about like the delivery, um, like inside of airports. I, I don't know, like, like I'm never cutting it that, like I'm never, I'm always cutting it so close that there's no way I have enough time to like place an order for food. Like once I'm at the airport. Um, we've so never talked about this. We've what? never talked about airport. We never had a conversation. We probably should just address now the elephant in the room. CJ, are you a early to airport or are you a get to airport right while it's boarding like cam um well see it it, it really depends on uh on a i'm going to the location i'm cutting as close as possible um on the way back from the location i am convinced that calories or time doesn't exist as long as you're away from your home time zone so i like I, you know i like to get to the airport early enough to sumptuously dine or perhaps you know have a 10 a.m. airport beer, which is a top five beer. Um, so I, I'm, I, you know, I kind of split it depending on location. I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I assumed like once I had a kid, I'd start showing up to the airport like much earlier, but it hasn't kicked in yet because <laughs> we haven't started traveling together. But I'm sure at some point it will. But yeah, I'm kind of like if I'm going to Newark, like. I'm going to leave an hour before I'm going to get there right in time. And like, you know, I already know like the deal there, but if I'm somewhere else, like, yeah, I'll, I'll take my time and saunter and, and plan some time for sure. But I, eating and eating inside of airports, it's definitely something that wants to like needs to be updated. Actually, like years ago, I visited a co-packer and I had an idea for like gourmet lunchables that were TSA approved. And so I went to go see a co-packer, like talk to them through about the plan and be like, Hey, listen, we're going to sell these in airports. So like, I've been thinking about food in airports for, for a while. So if they can solve that problem and make it healthier and better for you. So I don't have to like go to the on the go TGI Fridays. I'm definitely all for and, that. Yeah. And there's also, they were also talking last night at dinner about self-serve. Um, so Shotzi was saying that like a lot of people, if given the opportunity to like pour their own coffee with milk, they would do it. Right. And that would, that is kind of a bottleneck where a lot of people do go in there to have these frappawaccinos and people just want like me, just like an Americano. Yeah. So that was something else. Yeah. That's another technology that they're talking through too, is like 
kind of the implementation of self-serve uh, yes. kind of both in, you know, both in specifically in airports, but just more generally, which I think is a really interesting topic because I, I think about that all the time. Like when you go to a bar, uh, I'm a straight to no one's surprise whiskey drinker um, and, you know, spirit drinker. And so I always get frustrated when I have to wait like 30 minutes for a drink when all I want is just a dram of something. Right. And uh, I always think like either they should have one extra person who just does wine and beer and neat pours <laughs> or uh, let me just get which won't work, but let me just get behind the bar and do it myself, which yeah. again, as saying out loud, never going to happen. But Yeah. The other concept I always see like picking up in airports, but I don't know if anybody ever does. It is like farmer's fridge um, pops up kind of everywhere. I know they raise a ton of money and they do like the fresh salads and stuff like inside of a vending machine. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, you just get your like salad in a jar and get on your way, but I know there is a ton of money. I know they've popped up kind of everywhere, but I don't really know if it's like a, a viable option and I've never actually purchased anything from them. So and it always seems like they're fully stocked, which is not a probably a great sign, but I'll have to do some research to see how they're doing. And we'll, we'll do a whole airport, uh, topic, uh, show one time in the future. So for me, um, the brand that caught my eye was, uh, I'm a big like chips and salsa and guac person. Like that can be like what I live off of. And so I'm always like on the search for the best like tortilla chip. Um, and for me, Zach's Mighty Organic. Um, I have never tried it before and I just bought them. They're so freaking good. Like they're just awesome. Like perfect amount of saltiness, perfect crunch. The bag's actually pretty full. I implore everybody to try it, uh, bought it off of like Thrive Market, just kind of searching and, and throwing some extra stuff in my cart. Um, but I'm a convert of this brand now and, and probably won't buy anything else, um, you know, when, when looking for chips. So I think it's been around for, uh, for a little bit, but um, it really, the packaging pops, loved everything about it. Um, so I was super excited um, about that brand for sure. CJ, how about you? Well, I am in my parents' house. Technically, right now, I'm in my parents' basement. Um, so, like, it's kind of like, like all of my food choices have been removed from my own, you know, agency. Uh, and I'm getting, like, wonderfully home-cooked meals from my mom. So, I, I haven't been really doing much grocery shopping or looking at stuff. So, and, and uh, kind of beyond that, I'm kind of like in the land that time forgot, like in, in my bedroom, there's like all my old trophies and stuff. And, uh, but when I go up to the kitchen, there's like legitimate cereal from my childhood. Um, so I, I ate something. I don't know if you guys remember this brand, it's called Cracklin Oat Brand. Um, and it actually kind of looks like dog food, um, but it doesn't taste like dog food. It's delicious. And I haven't had a bowl of Cracklin Oat Brand for like, I don't know, maybe, maybe 15 years. Yeah, um, I always notice my wife for liking that stuff. It's it does look like like cat feet or something. Yeah, it's, it's so tasty. It's kind of like I'm team know. grape nuts. I'm oh. team grape nuts. Oh no, Taylor, no, yeah. me too. I, 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 and I'll take it one further. I'm team microwave your grape nuts and then put a little bit of. Oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Try that. Yeah, um, yeah, I love I love grape nuts. So. No new brands for me today, except for a shout out to, uh, it's probably Kellogg, either Kellogg or Post, Cracklin' Oat Brand. Yeah. You're like, uh, yeah, this new frozen brand, Bagel Bites, uh, <laughs> my, my uh, parents carry it. I wanted to talk about it, but that's a, that's a brand I definitely like, I, I missed from my past for sure. Cool. Well, 
we went over some products. Uh, Want to dive into the topics before we dive into the topics? Um, we were kind of discussing like the best way to approach this topic uh, before the show and before we started recording. But we know over LinkedIn the past two weeks, um, kind of the topic of sexual assault and sexual harassment at Exmo West um, kind of picked up, um, especially on LinkedIn, uh, from a post from Miriam, who I believe is the founder of Garlic Goodness. Um, talked to her a few times in the past um, and seems like a great founder. So really kind of an unfortunate uh, series of events that happened um, at Expo for her. I'm not going to go into like a bunch of details because obviously I don't want to misquote or misspeak on it. Uh, but I can, you can definitely search for it on BevNet or on LinkedIn and kind of find the article and read about it. Uh, basically, broad strokes, uh, there was um, a few complaints about sexual harassment at Expo West. Uh, I think with, uh, we just kind of wanted to touch on it because our whole, um, basically, episode last week was about Expo West and how great it was. And so for this kind of like really vile kind of news to come out, we just wanted to say, obviously, we hope that it's uh, fixed and that everyone can kind of go into a safe environment um, you know, next year, and hopefully they can iron out a lot of this stuff. Obviously, people were inside for, you know, two two years, and we wish that wasn't some sort of excuse for people to like misbehave and, and forget how to act as as humans and adults. So hopefully, everybody can kind of get their act together and not ruin you know trade shows for everybody in the future. Uh, CJ Taylor, I don't know if you have anything to add on top of that, but if not, we can just kind of jump into the next topic. Cool. I'll take the silence as a resounding no. <laughs> um, a resounding condemnation. There we go. Um, all right. So let's talk about our first um, uh, our first topic. So uh, obviously, one of the brands that we talk about a lot on the pod is Impossible Foods. A brand that we don't talk a lot about is Chobani, actually, for kind of how big and influential it is in the space. Um, with that being said, uh, came out this week that Pat Brown, uh, the CEO of Impossible, is going to step down. Uh, and the CEO of uh, Chobani, Peter McGinnis, is going to step in as the acting CEO of Impossible Foods. Impossible Foods had a pretty great run in 2020 during the pandemic. Obviously, meat shortages caused Impossible Foods to have a huge increase in sales during that time. Unfortunately, those sales have not been able to really keep up. Um, they, you know, they were kind of eyeing IPO this year and last year, um, but because given the decrease in sales, and I think because of what they've seen from uh, Beyond Meat and kind of how that um, IPO has been taken to task, uh, and that stock continues to crater. Um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to see that this change. Um, I also think it's super interesting to kind of just talk about Chobani too a little bit, maybe between the three of us. I mean, this is. A company we don't talk a lot about. Um, they're probably the, the most esteemed private company in the CPG space, and I know that they are also in the IPO here. Um, you know, in the next few months, but I just think that they're a company that does everything well, from product to marketing to just kind of how they go about their business. Uh, but CJ, why don't we start with you? Would love to know kind of your thoughts on like the switch up here um, and kind of what you think it means for Impossible Foods and. Is this them just kind of grasping at straws, really concerned about the fact that they are losing, um, you know, pretty drastic sales numbers here? Well, I, I think there's kind of two things to unpack here. And you really hinted at one, like, you know, Chobani is like, I don't know, it's, it's almost like the Duke or the North Carolina of, of, you know, the natural foods that like, you know, such consistently amazing execution, great vision. And I think a lot of talent. So I, I, I think they probably tagged a, a, a really, really good replacement for this um, CEO that's on his way out. I guess my question would be, and, and you know, we've talked in the past how 
Impossible Foods seems to have a clearer vision of wanting to be more like the Intel inside to a lot of different, um, you know, a lot of different brands and provide their technology um, to, to, to replace meat across a variety of situations. Whereas Beyond Meat has been much more forward about like, we want to own the branded product all the way to the consumer. And, you know, I, I can tell you that of the two, I, I certainly thought that Impossible was the, was the better strategic option. And I think that's also played out in their, in their performance. So, you know, Impossible, while it has no, you know, public market to get hammered the way that Beyond does, definitely had better revenue growth. Um, than Beyond did, at least in the way they report it, um, uh, than, than Beyond Meat did in 2021. And, and there's a lot of things that you can get into from accounting on what you can do from private versus public. So we never, we'll never really know until they're both public. So there seems to be kind of a little tension now in that you have you know, a rock star from a place that very, very much embraces and succeeds at branded products all the way to the consumer coming into a place where they seem to at least be having some, you know, success on a more of an Intel inside strategy. So I'm, I'm really interested on in how that's going to shake out. It doesn't automatically mean that means they're going to switch pace. Like he, he may further double down on that strategy. Um, but I think that's where this is going to kind of be interesting on, on, on how it shakes out. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely a lot to see kind of what's going to come to head here over the next few uh, month, weeks and months for sure. Um, Taylor, kind of any thoughts on you uh, on your end? I know uh, plant-based meat is your uh, big expertise and you're a huge fan <laughs> of it, but we'd also love to know just kind of your thoughts on Chobani. It's like, it's also, it's a, it's a company we haven't really touched on. Um, obviously, um, they're getting tapped for major CEO roles and they're continuing to grow and they seem to go around about their business much differently than most large CPG brands. Um, so just kind of interested in your thoughts on both. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with my personal thought. I have a little bit of beef with Chobani. Ha ha, get it? So, so, so here's my thought. I've been a Team FIA fan or Team Dannon fan. I'm Team anything but Chobani when it comes to the size. This is, again, a Taylorism, but I feel like they ripped me off of yogurt. Um, I never feel like I'd get a full cup of yogurt. So personally, I've had some issues over the years. I've gotten over it. I will eat it if it's around. Um, kind of kidding aside, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Obviously there's been a lot of, you know, shifts within the Chobani leadership over the past few weeks, which I think, you know, we've been talking about a little bit and I don't know, like I do, I've, I've never really looked at them, I guess, as just like, just a CPG brand or just a yogurt company. I've seen them as just kind of more of a fitting into a larger lifestyle and a bigger ethos. I think given a lot of the work that they do on the philanthropy front and kind of it, just across the board, I never really look at it just like a yogurt company. I've always kind of seen them as having a higher vision, uh, which is great. It means that they've done a pretty good job, at least at promoting and marketing what they do on the charitable side of things. Um, and then in terms of his new role, um, yeah, I agree with CJ. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of these people have these playbooks um, and it's not necessarily always easy, but I think they can take things that they've learned from, you know, other jobs and other role they, roles they've had and kind of implement it and plug in play where applicable. And I think in this case, this is a good example of it. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see what Peter can do, but uh, I have high hopes. I still probably won't eat it, but. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I think like the, the biggest thing with impossible is like their cash position is great, right? They've raised a ton of money. They can kind of weather the storm until an IPO. I don't think they're, they're worried about cash. Um, although they are probably spending a ton to make sure that sales just stay somewhere relevant to what they were right now. I think this is like, this goes back to a problem where I'm even seeing it with like a lot of the emerging brands we work with. What's like, what's the new normal post COVID of the sales bump that you saw during COVID. And it's, it's a lot of these brands saw huge jumps in DTC. Then they continued the investment that they were making to try to maintain that, uh, that bump that they saw um, in that channel post COVID. And now they're kind of stressing because the sales aren't there. So now they're going to retail really quickly. Um, CJ, I'm interested in your side, like on the investor side, have you seen a bunch of brands that have come to you to pitch to raise capital recently where they had big bumps in 2020 and a lot of those sales have now fizzled and they're trying to figure out what the new kind of normal is for them sales wise? Very much. Um, I, you know, th- this is, you know, for a variety of reasons, 2022 is going to be difficult to raise capital. I think, you know, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit, you know, you know the, the rock stars, um, you know, you know, Yanni mentioned what we call the five horsemen in, in beverage right now. They're never going to have trouble raising money for quite some time, but everybody a step below um, that has traction, um, you know, they're seeing some multiple compression. And then if you go further down to like the seed stuff, like you've seen a lot of that funding kind of become a lot more tentative. And, and I think a lot of companies are trying to point to like, well, look at all this D2C revenue. That means that we have, that means that we have consumer demand and it does. Uh, I, I, the one thing I want to make clear, like if someone bought your product, that means they want it, um, you know, COVID bump be damned. I, I, I think the big question for that, that we're asking ourselves in a lot of these meetings now is like, okay, you have like what I would now consider to be kind of tangential product market fit do you also have the muscle to develop to, to get into retail and wholesale, you know, whether it's through using something like we stock or otherwise. And, you know, I, I'd almost turn that question back around on you, Kevin, like what, you know, you, you, you actually probably have more deal flow than any company in the country right now of D to C native brands that are trying to move retail. Like if you had to like say, you know, here are three, here are three things that if they have got these three things right, you see way more success with them moving into retail. And and uh, I'm, I'm going to get my pen out and write them down because that's going to become an investable, an investable piece of information. Yeah, I mean, I think for for a lot of times the, the brands that we always know can win like already kind of have their story and their audience together. Um, brand like the 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 brands that we see that just like you can tell right off the bat they're going to fail. It's like they don't have a clear mission on what they're trying to tell or articulate to their consumer base or to the retailer. And so having that audience in place is really important. I think understanding retail is really important. I think we see so many brands that come to us and saying. Hey, we're in UNFI, we're in Kehi, we're in Mabel, we're in Fair. We've got the distribution, we're ready to go. It's like, whoa, you did that backwards. Like you need to have your anchor account and your interest from major retailers and then work backwards from the distribution standpoint. We're seeing a lot of brands come to us like with distributors in hand now wanting to use WeStock to open up retailers. And so that's kind of an interesting thing where I think that there's just so many distribution platforms and so many tech enabled uh, distribution plays 
right now that it just doesn't make um, you know a lot of sense for um, a lot of the branches aren't prioritizing retail first and they're prioritizing these distribution platforms which is kind of interesting um, and then I think it's just prioritizing like a dedicated salesperson a lot of times like these these smaller brands or the emerging brands anywhere between like one to ten million the founder is sometimes still doing sales um, and so I think having your built out full flight of like sales team is definitely necessary and so we know like hey this brand has a clear story, they've got a great audience, they have interest from key retailers, and now they're working backgrounds from distribution and they have the team in place that can take advantage of that. Then we kind of identify like that as like, that's gonna be a great brand for us um, and, and probably a brand that's gonna be around for a couple of years and kind of has all their stuff together. And you saw that from Expo too. I mean, we, you and me chatted about some brands where it's like, you know, it's just they're they're giving the facade that they're a lot bigger than they are, um, but you know, it's not really there. And then you talk to the brands where you know it seems like they've got everything together, and now they're just racking up kind of retail interest. And I think coming out of the pandemic, buyers are interested in new items, and, and the time is kind of now for that. But it is definitely interesting to see this shift from all these brands that would have been DTC first, uh, probably for um, you know their first three years. Now within the first year, go to retail. Um, and really prioritize um, your retail. So it is super interesting to see that. Um, Taylor, be interested too. I mean, obviously you work with a ton of emerging brands. Like, are you seeing kind of this shift as well? And like, are brands that you're working with and and I'm sure obviously there was a huge uh, bump in the alcohol space and during the pandemic, are they worried about what the new normal is from a sales standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just across the board, it's just more competitive than ever. And like, I agree, like in terms of what CJ had said around, you know, like all of these companies, a lot of over half the brands that I advise, I advise around like 30 brands at this point and 30 founders and like over half of them are fundraising. I think it's, a, I, I, he's right. I think it's like an uphill climb for, for most. And then the ones that have interest will continue to have interest and continue to get more capital. Um, but I, what I am seeing on that front in terms of direct to consumer versus retail is a lot of these people, like on the founder side, when talking to different investors, at least from what I'm seeing kind of in this conduit role, I guess, in the middle of all of it is, um, you know, they are showing growth through direct to consumer and they kind of keep pushing well that, you know, we, we do have those numbers, but in reality, I think a lot of people on the investment side, and I'm not speaking for CJ, but just from what I've seen, uh, they do want to see like a full on the channel approach. Um, you know, direct to consumer is great, but they want to know how you're making traction, you know, in stores and retail, et cetera, uh, which is hard, which is very hard for these companies because a lot of them either started as direct to consumer during COVID or, you know, pulled back and now trying to figure out like, what is the best strategy to do that? Um, but it's not easy and there's no playbook necessarily. So, but it does seem like that full kind of on the channel approach is what's being asked of these people that at least from what I'm seeing are fundraising and not all of them have a strategy yet in place. Yeah. I mean, you look at an Olipop and you look at like a lemon perfect and like it, the reason those companies do so well is because everything's married together so well. And, and a lot of times you talk to emerging brands and it sounds like they're just trying to knock down pillars to go to the next one versus like create like a really cohesive strategy that works together. Okay. It's like, now I got to focus on DTC. Okay, great. Now I got to focus on retail where you look at like an Olipop and it's like, 
the 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 story that they're selling in store that matches like their really easy subscription and they've got a great cx and everything on the background really makes sense and they've got a great community and like everything is building off of each other and it's really tough for a brand to hit that nirvana kind of point but really you should be focused on like increasing your cac almost through retail but then driving those customers back through online subscriptions and it's a really tough medium for these brands to hit um and like it might seem like it's seamless for some brands like a lemon perfect or an olipop but it like it takes just a shitload of work and i think it just takes a, like a lot of focus and a lot of these brands just don't have that they just want to move on to the next pillar um and that's that's where we see a lot of i think the issues on our end for sure and i, I mean there's a reason that yanni repeats that stat you know one in a hundred beverage brands make it to 10 million dollars show in 12 months and one in ten thousand make it to 50 and like you know th those are all a function of you know virtuous cycles reinforcing exactly what you just said like your retails in support of your of your digital and your digitals in support of your retail and everything is working together and it it seems like it's like smooth but to get there there was a lot of churning you know below the surface one thing i will say um and i i think you know, I, I, I'll be the first to admit that I'm a skeptical person. I, I almost have to be as a nature of, of the role that you? I play, but I am, you? No. <laughs> I am also an optimistic person. And I think we need to do a really good job of calling out like when these, these entrepreneurs bet on themselves and when, and I got a message yesterday that Joy Milk Tea just got a million dollar lead check from Mark Cuban. So I guess his, um, his, you know, his bet on himself and making his booth look, um, you know, a bigger footprint, you know, that, that it actually is worked. So congratulations, Max. Um, I did try your product and it was delightful. Um, so that's, you know, I, I think we should celebrate the, the wins that we know that are, that are out there. So good job, Joy Milk. For sure. Cool. Well, let's move on to the next product, uh, the next topic here. Uh, we love talking about kind of retro brands and, and the, their rebranding or trying to get back into the space. Um, V8 um, is one of those brands now trying to come back into the space and not be kind of labeled as your grandma's tomato drink, as, as Modern Retail put it. Um, V8 to me is like so quintessential with like the big like jug that sat in your fridge for like ever and like maybe like you would see your parents like like partially take sips out of it but somehow it would just like last in there for six months and for me like we talked about flying earlier like every single time i took a night flight grow like as a kid i'd always get like a v8 tomato juice and i didn't like it but there was like something adult about like getting that while i was on a plane where i felt like maybe i was like having a cocktail or something and so like those are my two memories with that but it is true where it's like, if there's a brand that's positioned to do really well, like in this growing organic and plant-based market, like why not the OG one, especially when like millennial branding, kind of the brands that we grew up with, like that 80, like late eighties, nineties, early two thousands kind of branding is coming back. Like the OG drink of that time um, is pretty well positioned. Um, and obviously they have the distribution to take that up. So love some of the partnerships they've coming up with, love the idea of them kind of rebranding themselves and repositioning themselves as a mixer too um, during the pandemic. So that was great to see, but um, Taylor, let's, let's start with you. Are you a V8 drink, eight drinker? And you know, what did you think about this rebranding kind of relaunch of this product? Um, I have never had tomato juice. So there's that, um, though V8 would fall into like the stuff that I would drink, not the healthy 
versions that they've launched recently, but just the good old V8. Um, no, I've never had it. Uh, I do think the story, shout out to Gabriella Barco, who's a badass who wrote that piece. I think it's a, it was a good piece. And I think overall, I think it's interesting. Like uh, when reading that, I didn't really realize that they've actually been working on this for quite some time, uh, which now makes sense, right? Because I feel like we've all kind of seen some of those new products that they've rolled out, you know, intermittently, right? Over the past few years from a marketing perspective. But when they, when they say that, I'm like, okay, now I get it. It's been like a consolidated effort. Um, I also like their point around, I think, like the VP of marketing had said that uh, they're kind of exposing a whole new group of consumers to this product. And so um, I guess it's like some of the younger demographic because it's like lower in sugar and sparkling. I think everyone that's young likes things that are sparkling with no or little sugar. Um, so I think it's interesting. I mean, it'll be, you know, I don't know necessarily like how many of these products that they've launched will, will stay on the market, but I think like at a high level, I think it makes sense to rebrand it. I think they should, again, partner with Herbal Essences. Is Herbal Essences ever going to listen to me that they should just maybe just take some time to think about a similar type of overhaul? Anyway, neither here nor there. See, you shower in the morning. After the shower, you have some good old V8. See, I've already thought of a fun there partnership. For there you go. There you go. Your own, own the AM, Herbal, Herbal Essences. Own the oh, on the, on the <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, it'll be, I think it's a smart move. I think it makes sense. And uh, yeah, just curious to see kind of how it continues to roll out. But I think it's an interesting rebrand. For sure. Uh, how about you, CJ? Well, I know I just went out of my way to say that I'm optimistic and not skeptical, but um, how do I put this as nicely as possible? Like in, 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 a, in a lot of ways, like, you know, back when I would spend some time in, in, in corporate America, corporate alcohol, I would kind of casually point out that it sure seemed to me like the, you know, the, the every five years, you know, McKinsey engagement was just a really convenient way to transfer $5 million to McKinsey and have them come back and tell us that we have to increase household penetration. Um, in, in, in the same way here, like, like, I understand what they're doing. It's, you know, like a, a, a child can identify the better for you trends that are happening um and in many ways <laughs> like, in many ways i i am sympathetic to those who have this job who are like hey our v8 sales are flagging in the midst of the largest shift towards better for you that's ever happened in food and beverage we probably deserve some of this but it's not going to work um you know they 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 may find a way to arrest a share decline but they are never going to to capture the big bulk of this because you know actually kind of contrary to what you're saying again th this isn't a true millennial nostalgia brand it's something that millennials re you know have a memory of because their parents have yeah it's it. a baby boomer brand yeah, for it's sure a baby boomer brand. And, and, and like and they you know they're they're just never they're never going to get there however for like this is still a really good marker for a lot of the brands that that you know we stock services and tailor advises and i invest in because like this is just one more signal that this like better for you health train is is gathering momentum that can't be stopped like and we talked about you know a lot um you know post super bowl like hey that was the first millennial focus super bowl it was their halftime it was their brands it was you know it's their nostalgia like you know this demographic investing thing that i keep beating like a dead horse is so powerful that like you know, V8 has to try and conform to it. 
but it's not going to work. Um, yeah. Although I, I do shout out to my homegirl, um, Nina um, at Circle Up, who, who provided some quotes and was much nicer than I am um, as, as far as her um, as, as far as her characterization of, of their chances of success. But that's because Nina's a good person and I'm not. Um, but I, I, I do think that overall, this is a wonderful, a wonderful data point that shows that better for you is coming. Um, it's just not coming from V8. Yeah, no, geez, I'm never usually like the super hopeful one out of the group, but I think it's got a little bit more merit, but maybe that's just my own nostalgia <laughs> I've seen it in the fridge and stuff. But yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see where they go with it. I think it's a good, obviously, indicator for the emerging brands. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't really think of a one-to-one -one comp of like an emerging brand that's going after this space, like directly, because there's obviously a ton of cold press um, juice companies, but nothing that's like the all-encompassing like uh, health elixir that this was promised to be. But uh, it'll be super interesting to see how it goes. Um, cool. All right. Our next uh, topic, definitely one of the weirder ones that I've, I've posted to the group. Uh, it's going to take me a while to set it up. Um, anybody who doesn't um, subscribe to The Hustle, uh, it's a really good newsletter they send on a daily basis. And then on Sundays, they usually send like a larger um, kind of breakdown of a, of a really interesting kind of topic. And so this week was all about Molson Coors. And apparently uh, it kind of came out that Molson Coors basically got this discrete building in downtown LA. They brought in 18 subjects um, who were basically on a paid um, basis to come in for the day and um, kind of uh, opt into this case study. They watched a video, uh, which I can put, the, I'll put in the uh, show notes if you want to watch it, but it's just kind of like this like subliminal advertising messaging video. Uh, they listened and watched it for over eight hours while falling asleep. And the reason that Molson Coors did this was to really shape and compel their subconscious into hoping that they dream about Coors beer. And 30% of the participants basically reported that they did actually have like really vivid, vivid dreams about Coors products. Um, and then they kind of broke down um, how a lot of brands are starting to go into this manipulation of dreams market, which I thought was really interesting because I've never really uh, heard of the, um, the term that they basically called targeted dream incubation, where you want to associate different sounds, visuals, and scents with a um, with something that you're going to see in your uh, dreams. And then hopefully come out of that, want and yearn for that product, and then go and purchase it. So <laughs> I thought it was just kind of very, very out there, uh, super sci-fi-ish and something we should just chat about, um, if not for anything that we can't really add to it, but like kind of like get our thoughts on it. Uh, I guess there's not... Uh, there's not enough marketing that they can do while we're awake. So now people are going after the time that we're spending asleep. Uh, but CJ, let's start with you. Kind of any thoughts? Obviously, um, you come a little bit from this space on the on the beer and wine spirit side. Uh, but is it interesting that brands would even spend time like this, like a Molson Coors, like a Nike, like kind of going after this? And I think they said like eight out of 10 marketers are looking to incorporate this into their marketing strategies over the next three years, which just kind of seemed like crazy to me. But again, like, you know, we try not to be pessimistic on the show and, and this would be kind of interesting to see how this rolls out, especially in the CPG space. I mean, this is wild, like targeted dream incubation, TDI. Um, I, I feel like Christopher Nolan was putting together this article and like, and they're trying to incept me. Um, I, you know, I, I get it, it's cool. Um, you know, like it's it's a little bit like um, you know, almost dystopian 
like Blade Runner capitalist esque, you know, and and perhaps you know we should try and protect our last, you know, unfettered, un, unadvertised to mind space. But like, it's certainly interesting. Um, and I'm I'm 100% down to like talk to this Robert Stickle guy and see if like if 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 we can't put together a platform to to just start incepting folks. What what I will say is um a buddy of mine my, my, par my partner james in in um in goat rodeo his cousin has a podcast called sleep with me um and it's you know it started out small but it is now a massive hit because he just has a really really um dual sit tone and he just kind of babbles about any topic he wants for for an hour and and people have, have used him as a sleep aid so now i'm wondering if if spotify is going to all of a sudden start slipping some ads um, in, 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 into the sleep-oriented podcast in order to accept people's dreams. But um, I want to learn more. It's, it's yeah. weird, wacky stuff. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen a lot of investment dollars go into sleep over the last like few years, for sure. Um, obviously, most of that comes into like mattress technology and sleeping technology. This is super different. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty crazy and, and an out there story. It's something I know Taylor would definitely you know sign up for. She was probably one of the 18 people in this undisclosed area in LA. Uh, but Taylor, what were your thoughts kind of reading this and, and any kind of first uh, opinions after it? DJ. I listen to sleep with me. All the, of course, of course. Yes, of course I do. And I thought originally that we have to have this man, your James's friend on the show. This is now, that's your goal for March or April. But here's the thing. It's so bizarre. Like, and on TikTok, you have people that do these, like, you know me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an observer on TikTok. Eventually I may become more active, but you have these people that like hold these microphones and they like make these soft sounds and millions of people watch it. It's bizarre. So the sleep with me thing is really interesting. Um, I used to have this fear when I was a kid that I would be the last person awake on earth. Um, and so I love that idea of what they did. And I, I, I'm not surprised by the way that that podcast has taken off because I feel like we're all such high strung anxiety ridden human beings at this point so to have a guy who just babbles about virtually nothing until you get so bored that you fall asleep i think it's a genius idea <laughs> um i think this idea of i read about this when candy sent it over i think it's highly obtrusive i think this is really weird i mean like agreed i think it'd be great to talk through this more but this seems real intrusive like i understand that if i use my computer that they capture all the information on me but like i don't really want a beer company targeting me in my sleep like it, yeah I don't know I mean I, I'm not surprised because now like these are this is probably the future like they they target us in every way shape or form and now they can target us in our sleep but I for one am not for it. I'd rather listen to the man babble and fall asleep dreaming of whatever nonsense he tells me so yeah I, I mean like so we listen to like um like sleep stories sometimes like i'm always like i can pass out pretty quickly but my wife sometimes like wants to listen to sleep stories so i can imagine like if they prove this out like going to like a uh, you know like a, a calm or a headspace or a uh, spotify and like start slipping in some of these like paid messaging inside of like that which would be definitely scary and intrusive um but yeah i think it's something to <laughs> Oh, I'm just imagine if Matthew, imagine if Matthew McConaughey or LeBron James is calm. All of a sudden, <laughs> he's like, 
And in case you're wondering, I do have a new line of sneakers with Nike. You should buy them. <laughs> <laughs> it was like ne- next morning, you just wake up with like an item in your Amazon shopping cart and you have no clue how it happened. It could work. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely very intrusive. I think it's something to keep an eye on. It's something where we'll probably forget about it for three years and then we'll hear about it again. I'll be like, oh, we, we, you know, we talked about that, but uh, definitely not really anything. uh, Probably a lot of the emerging brands that listen to this can use, but something cool that, you know, a bigger player in the space is trying to to do, and we'll keep an eye on it for sure. Um, I think the last topic we'll chat about um, kind of more of a macro topic, uh, you know, which I love, which, you know, we like to cover um, from time to time, but uh, obviously, the issue in Ukraine and Russia, um, you know, is is kind of weighing heavy on everybody. I think one of the topics that we don't hear a lot about is basically that part of the country or part of the world is is kind of labeled like the breadbasket because I think about a third of the world's wheat um, comes out of Ukraine and Russia together. Um, the whole world basically runs on a 90-day food supply. So a thing like a you know war where we're in like you know between like I think 25 or 35 day, 30 days that it's been going on, it can have a really big impact on the food systems. Um, and that wheat doesn't necessarily affect kind of the US wheat production or how much wheat we're purchasing because we don't get a lot of it from there, but it does really affect other parts of the world. And so I think it was just a, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to to think about obviously um you know, other things that are being affected by this right now, uh, and wheat being a big one and, and obviously is really big for the industry for that Taylor works in, um, obviously, and then obviously, um, you know, CJ, I'm sure some of your companies do, but it goes back to, I think, bringing it back to like what we talk about with emerging brands and stuff is that there's a lot of things always on the horizon. So like macro problems, there's obviously like inflation is on the rise. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but like a lot of the things that the brands have to see the tea leaves, kind of like what's coming next, um, that I don't necessarily know if they're kind of factoring in. Uh, but CJ, I would love to kind of start with you on like thoughts on on kind of this bigger, larger macro issue and kind of what's coming on. And then, you know, some of the issues that are kind of coming to a head for some of the emerging brands that they might not be paying attention to that might just seem like far away macro problems, but they are going to affect these brands, you know, coming up soon. Yeah. Buckle up listeners. It's time to put on our macroeconomic hat. Um, so <laughs> the world's largest wheat producer just invaded the world's fourth largest wheat producer. And I think that like, it is very difficult for the average person to intuitively understand what happens to the overall price of a commodity when it is only marginally affected on supply over a short to medium time frame. But I can put it in terms that most of you can understand. Have you seen the pump prices? Um, there, 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 there has been only kind of a, like a, a, I'd say a small to medium disruption in actual energy flows and it has immediately flowed through to massive spikes in energy. That same thing has happened with wheat prices and I, like the, the speculative nature of, of markets, which is hopefully, you know, has, you know, usually around 20% speculative money that kind of acts as an arbitrage, like it's not pushing those prices down very much. And when you, you know, take a step back and say, okay, like what is the primary drivers of cost of living? It's energy and it's food um, on, the, on like a worldwide basis. And like, yeah, for the American consumer, those things might represent a large, but le- slightly less meaningful portion of a daily spend than people in the developing world. Like people, I mean, I'm not sure if like 
what started the Arab Spring revolts a couple of years ago was was a bread shortage in Egypt. Um, I think we're going to have major, major impacts across the Middle East. China is one of the most food insecure nations in the world. Um, they still haven't figured their way out of that big swine flu issue they had, and they, they you know, they're they're the largest net importer of food in the world. So, this is going to have some major repercussions there. And Ukraine is also one of the largest producers of potash, which is essentially you know fertilizer. So this is this is going to have repercussions beyond wheat. It, you know, it'll affect corn crops. It'll affect what rice crops. Um, I, I again, spoiler alert: I'm a pessimist. But I, I, I have trouble not seeing how if you put the entire world into a supply shock price spike in energy and food, it doesn't jump the likelihood of a global recession by a lot. Um, you know, I'll do the standard economic hedge like that doesn't mean that there's going to be a recession. It just means the chance of a recession is higher. Um, but I certainly think it's going to affect the cost inputs to a lot of brands. Um, and there will always be micro success stories. We had, you know. Yanni on, uh, you know, last week, and, and he talked about how rigorously they were looking at, at controlling their costs and actually bringing their margins up over time. But this can't help but affect a lot of brands. This is going to reverberate the system in a really, really nasty way. And I think the shocks are going to be here for, you know, years, not months on, on, on what this is going to do to food and energy prices. So congratulations, world. Like, it's going to get a lot better real soon. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's definitely, I, I think like that was um, kind of the biggest thing. It's like sometimes th this is like one of those articles where it's like, oh, something that's happening really far away is going to actually hit home relatively soon. Um, and just wanted to kind of bring it into the zeitgeist of, of you know, what we talk about on a, on a weekly basis. Um, Taylor, anything to add on your end? What could I add? No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, no, no. I, I, CJ said it all. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I, I uh, yeah, we appreciate it, CJ. I think that that was definitely educational for Taylor and myself too, um, and something that's super helpful and something that we can pass around to the the founders that we talk to on a daily basis. So, did not mean to end on a big macro depressing note for the podcast today, but <laughs> that's the way that it happens. But I, you know, I appreciate everybody uh, tuning in uh, again. Please. Uh, leave us a rating uh, and leave us a review. It really does help as we're continuing to build the audience for the podcast. We will be back next week uh, with a great guest and another great episode. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.